The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Sound a little sleepy this morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Did you spend last week, last week with an attitude of good? Some of you remembered that. Did, how'd that go? Did you have an attitude of gratitude last week? You remember what we were talking about? It wasn't that we had to fake it. It doesn't mean that becoming a Christian, you just put on a happy face no matter what's going on in life. That's not what we're saying. But what we saw was that Paul was teaching us that when we grasp the concept of grace, that we're a people of grace, to the praise of grace, that God in his grace saved us. And what is grace? Unmerited favor. That the very definition of us as the called out ones means that we are a people of unmerited favor. And when we grasp that concept of grace that we don't deserve, it gives us a genuine, heartfelt attitude of gratitude that undergirds all of life, whether we're going through terrible circumstances or great circumstances, we're able to genuinely have an attitude of gratitude for grace. And so Paul is driving that point home last week because there's a lot of issues going on in the church at Corinth, and we see that when when we have an attitude of gratitude, that puts us in a posture of humility. Because when we're grateful, we're not standing saying, hey, look what I've done, we're grateful for grace. And so with all the divisions that are going on in the church and all the problems that Paul is going to address, the key issue is pride and self-exaltation. So anytime there's problems going on in the church, it usually can be traced back to a lack of humility, a loss of realizing that we are all subjects of God's grace. And so the more we can fan the flames of the gospel and and, and create within us an attitude of gratitude for the grace of God, the more we see God's glory projected from us as the people of grace to the praise of his grace. Today we're going to see Paul begins to address those concerns. He takes on the problems of division in the church. Why would he need to talk about that? Do churches have division? Yeah, that's almost supposed to be a joke. Like, it's comical that, that churches who are supposed to be the place where God's kingdom reigns are so oftentimes filled with division. I had a pastor friend who, when he graduated from seminary, went on to pastor a church called Friendship Baptist Church. Let me just warn you, if you're ever considering going to a church called Friendship Baptist Church, there's your sign, run for the hills. It probably means they had a church split and they just wanted to say, we're the friendly ones. And that's exactly what happened. That church was a disaster. He did not last long and he's no longer in the ministry. So you don't want to go. I'm just kidding. There's probably great friendship Baptist churches out there. But the point is, a lot of times churches are filled with divisions. And it's not surprising if you think about it, that when you think about where we come from, we all are so different And in this church, we're pretty similar compared to how different we could be. But yet still, we come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different cultures, different personalities, different skill sets, different looks. I mean, I'm obviously a cool hipster. Unlike the rest of y'all, it's surprising that we can get along. But there are lots of differences that separate us. Intellectual ability. That's not that funny, Kristen. 
So the fact that we all are from different political persuasions or all kinds of economic classes and all kinds of things that could divide us, it's not surprising that we can come together and struggle with this idea of division. So how in the world do we unite as the body of Christ? That's what God's going to call us to this morning. He's going to call us to unity in the body of Christ. Lord, we ask that you would unify us this morning. I pray, Lord, that as we study your scriptures, that the Spirit of God will do a powerful work in us, that we would, that we would be united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. By your spirit, would you work that in our hearts this morning? Because we want to be a people of grace to the praise of your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's begin. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. And first of all, we see the appeal. Paul makes the appeal right up front in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same spirit. So notice the three that's in the appeal. They're basically three different ways of saying the same thing. Look what he says. I appeal to you that you all agree, that there be no divisions, and that you be united. So Paul's appeal is that the church not have divisions. That word divisions in the Greek comes from the root word schisma, which is a condition resulting from a splitting that results in a crack from that split, like a crack or a cleft in a rock. And as I thought about that word picture, I thought about a windshield on your car or in your truck when you're driving down the interstate and that loud pop that shakes you out of your seat and scares you to death when that little small rock hits your windshield. And it starts as just a small little spot on your windshield that you notice and you think, well, thank goodness that whole windshield didn't break. But if you don't address that little crack in the windshield, what happens over time as the pressure's and the bumps in the road start to happen. Over time, the wind, this crack starts to spread throughout the body of the windshield. That's the idea of this division, this schisma. It's this spreading, this cracking effect until finally, if it's not addressed or replaced, it, it divides, it shatters into pieces. Metaphorically speaking, Paul is saying to the church, there are divisions, there are cracks in the body of Christ. And so metaphorically, the body of Christ is the windshield. And it just takes a small crack to spread throughout the body. And if it's not addressed, it can shatter the body. It can shatter the unity that the body of Christ is to enjoy which shatters the, the effect of the glory of God, that the people of God, unified despite all of our differences, we are to be a picture of the unification that God brings among his people. So we must address this issue in the church. Now, when I think about us, I don't think, I'm, I may be suffering a little bit from a ivory tower syndrome. If there's a lot of division going on, I don't know about it. 
So I don't think that is in particular the, the same problem that we face, that we see going on in Corinth. But what I do think that the Lord is showing me is something that we can think and pray about that would be beneficial to our church. I do think that we as a church have a tendency to be a loose collect, collection of individuals. That we are very independent, self-reliant individuals and that it's not a whole lot different than any other organization where an individual joins and several individuals join and we're all members or participants or fellow members of this organization, but there's not a real unity that has developed. I would say more so than any church I've ever experienced, but I would say there's, we can go a lot further. That God is calling us to, first of all, form the windshield in Christ so that we are a representative of the, the unity that we share in Christ. And that's one of the reasons we have every member in a community group. And in community group, we encourage uh, just relational connection to happen. But that relational connection we're going to see today is rooted and grounded in grace. Rooted and grounded in the gospel. That as we interact with each other and share our struggles, it's not the same thing as any other organization where we all connect over the common bond we have in this sport or in this uh, fraternity or sorority or whatever. There is a much deeper level, a spiritual level of connection that comes when we are rooted and bonded in the grace of God by the uniting power of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what I want to see and pray that we see more and more in our church because that is a unique attribute of the church of God that is found in no other organization. A spiritual union shared by the Spirit of God uniting us together in our union with Christ based on the foundation of unmerited favor. This is what God has done for you in Christ. And so I think we want to see and pray and ask God to make that true more and more in our church. So we see the appeal. Next, we're going to look at the division that he is talking about. Let's take a little further look in verse 11 at the division, the problem that he's addressing. He says in verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Now don't you know they be like, Chloe's people need to shut their mouth. Why are you going and talking to Paul and telling him what's going on over here? We don't even know who Chloe's people is. Paul's like, I ain't going to tell you who it is, but I got word that y'all are quarreling. He says, there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, notice this is the second time that he says, my brothers. In verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers. Here, it's been reported to you, my brothers. This is a familiar term of love. He doesn't... Say, listen to you, I'm an apostle, and I'm telling you, quit fighting. He says, my brothers, you're my brothers and sisters. We're a family that when our father, God, united us to himself, when he adopted us by his son, Jesus Christ, we became family. And so we should be connected as family. And it's just like a parent says to their kids when their two kids are fighting. You're like, you don't understand you should be your biggest supporters. You are sisters. You're a brother and sister. You're family. Nobody's going to love you more than your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, 
We're a family. And today we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. This whole act is, is the Father, Jesus Christ, wrapping his arms around each individual, pulling them into his chest and saying, I love you. And you belong to me. And you belong to one another. We're a family united by Christ. And so there should be no divisions. We should not be known as the people of quarreling and divisions. And so he goes on and says, my brothers. And he says, what I mean. So here's the nature of the division. What I mean is that each of you says, quote, I follow Paul. Or, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Cephas. Or others who say, I follow Christ. And so here we see the four divisions that we want to look at. They've divided. There's this division that's cracking. It's spreading across the windshield of the body of Christ. And it needs to be addressed as I'm sure, the, let's think about those who are saying, I follow Paul. Many commentaries disagree about what exactly is the nature of the division. Some say it's kind of these cliques that are building a cult of personalities behind each one of these leaders. But I like what one commentary, one scholar says, is that if you notice the grammar, it's just, I think it's more of individual pellets are hitting the windshield and they haven't coalesced around like, okay, everybody who likes Paul, come over here. It's more of just this lack of of co cohesion, that the body of Christ is not bonded. If you think about it, you've got a culture of people coming from the Hellenistic culture, the Greek culture, and they've been called out of that into this, and they're trying to, to co they're trying to come together in unity, but they're carrying some old practices, and, and they're saying, I, I follow Paul, I follow, and, and Paul's trying to address this before it really turns into these massive cliques or divisions. I'm sure those who were saying, I follow Paul, had a strong bond with Paul. He was the founding planter of this church. And, and we saw last week that he came limping in, if you will, into Corinth, tired, ready to give up, needing a sabbatical, wore out, having been beaten, having had gone through the ringer. He's wanting to just take a break. And God says, no, I've got another work for you to do in Corinth. And so he kind of comes in to Corinth and he's like, I'm just going to give it the best I got, but I don't have that much left in the tank. And God works powerfully. The Spirit of God works because Paul just proclaims the cross of Christ, proclaims Christ crucified, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God takes that and explodes. And people come to know Christ. We saw last week that God saved them. God enriched them greatly. And God's sustaining them. And so God worked powerfully. And in that powerful work, there is, I'm sure, many people, there are many people who have fond memories of the good old days. Man, I remember we didn't have a building. We didn't have anything. We were all working our tails off. We were in that school, and we were setting up the band equipment every week. And we didn't have, we were in a nursing home. And I remember those therapy cats running around our feet. And I remember that when we finally started having kids, who in the world thought they'd bring their kids to a nursing home? And those kids got in trouble because they're hitting people in their wheelchairs. And we got kicked out. 
We were just happy to go to a school where there was a playground. Oh, I remember those days, man. God was working powerfully. I follow Tracy. Who's with me? No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. And so there's a fond memory of the good old days with Paul. But then there's Apollos. Now, most scholars think Apollos is not the problem himself, but the problem centers around Apollos. Who is Apollos? Well, we can go to Acts chapter 18, verse 24, and it says a lot to us. Paul tells us, or Luke tells us in Acts about Apollos. It says, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, coming out of that Hellenistic Greek cultural mindset, he came to Ephesus. Listen to the description of Apollos. He was an eloquent man. And we're going to see that comes up a lot in Corinthians. The eloquent man of wisdom, of rhetoric, philosophy, a wordsmith. He was an eloquent man, but he was competent in scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was well educated in the way of the Lord. He had been discipled and he was fervent in spirit. And he rightly divided the word. He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus Though the though he only knew about the baptism of John, and he spoke boldly in the synagogue, but then Priscilla and Aquila heard him about teaching about the baptism of John. They set him straight. They pulled him aside, explained to him the way of God more accurately, and so he was teachable. He learned from them. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers said, yeah, come on. They encouraged him. He was well-liked. And they wrote to the disciples to welcome Apollos. He's a good one, man. You want him to come. And when he arrived, he was very effective. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And so he was discipling these new believers. He was very gifted at that discipleship. And he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. So he was an apologist. He had a very clear thinking mind. He understood how to explain from scriptures, Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so he was showing them by the scriptures that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, was Jesus. So Apollos was good. He was gifted. He was a charismatic, bold, eloquent speaker he spoke the language of the culture philosophizing but he was also grounded in scriptures he was very skilled with the word of god and he had a heart for the people and he discipled them and when these kids accepted christ he moved in and had a powerful impact on that family and so no wonder people were like i'm with apollos man that that guy he's the total package you know, the founding pastor's getting a little old, getting a little tired. Paulo's smooth, man. This guy's smooth. And he looks good in a tight t-shirt because he's tall and built. I'm not talking about me, in case you're wondering. The idea is powerful ministry has a tendency to draw people to himself and say, man, look how effective he is. Look what a blessing he is. And then you have Cephas. Now, we don't really know. There's no record that this is Peter. Cephas is Peter. We don't have a record of Peter coming through to, uh, to uh, Corinth. 
but apparently he did and he preached and had a powerful impact or others had heard him somewhere and, and, it, and it affected them. And so they're like, man, I'm with, I'm, you're with Apollos and that starts feeding this kind of comparison of who are you with, who do you think's the best, who's the most eloquent, who's affected you most powerfully. And they're saying, well, man, I'm with, I'm with Peter. Peter is it. And then finally you have the fourth party or the fourth group of those who are saying, well, I'm with Christ. You see, they know better. They know you're not supposed to, to line yourself up with mere men who, who speak with eloquence. You may say you're with Paul and you're with Apollos and, and you're with Peter. Well, guess what? I'm with Jesus. And that sounds good, right? You think, okay, they got it right. No, probably this is another problem. This probably is people who have the kind of a, a spiritual elitist mentality. Where, where they had a, a relationship with Jesus that they kind of relate to others as if you're not quite there yet. Like I have, I have a connection with Jesus that has made me a little bit better than the average Christian. And, and it's hard to deal with people like this because they're, they're doing all the right things, but they're doing it with the wrong heart and the wrong understanding. They're praying, they're reading the word, they're talking about Jesus and, and God's will for life. And, but the problem is they think that they have a different and better experience of Jesus than the rest of us. I like the way David Pryor describes it. He says, the net result of their presence in the church is that most others feel spiritually inadequate. They say, we don't get clear messages from the Lord. We have no comparable sense of immediacy in prayer like them. And we can't match the unswerving certainty about the will of the Lord that they seem to have. There's always this faint but discernible air of spiritual superiority when members of this group are present. And it's not easy to cope with comments such as, the Lord has told me. I've been in that place before where someone tells me, the Lord has told me, and for me to even dare to question them about what exactly is to, it was equated to questioning God. And for me to disagree was to disagree with God. And that's not a place of unity. That's a place of someone saying, I've experienced God in a special way that makes me closer to him than the rest of you. And so there is divisions, there is cracks spreading across the windshield of the body of Christ. She met me in the hospital when I had my baby and what a difference. She's always checking on me. He handles our community groups, and he has loved us so well. When we were in the hospital, he was there. When we needed him, he was there. She was there. This elder, that community group leader, I'm with them. And the Lord's saying, do not let that creep up in this body. The body of Christ is unified in Christ. If any member, community group, co-leader or leader or or staff member, or elder, has had a, a wonderful blessing in your life, praise God, because God is the one working in and through them. So it's a blessing, it's a gift, but that person should not become the one that we worship. So we need to be open and honest this morning as we examine our hearts. Are there early signs of crack? If we don't get to the windshield company quick and deal with that crack, it will spread and it will become a problem in our church. 
So how do we address the problems of division? Well, we see finally the response. Paul gives us the response in verses 13 through 17. And his response is all about Christ. He has three rhetorical questions. The answer to which each one of these is no. Is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? No. And then I love these next two verses. And every year as my memory gets weaker and weaker, I can so relate to this. This is just so raw and so honest. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So that none of you may say you were baptized in my name. And then someone spoke up. Ah, Stephanus says, ah, you baptized me too. He says, well, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. But beyond that, I don't know who I baptized. I don't know if I baptized anyone else. That's not the point. The point is, Christ did not send me to baptize, but Christ sent me to preach Christ. And you want me to preach it with all eloquent wisdom? Well, that empties the cross of its power. That's what's going on. Paul just leaves that in the Bible. He's like, I don't know. I can't remember. My point is, it's not about who baptized you. It's about Christ. And that's what his point is. The response to the divisions is to exalt Christ. Exalt the grace of Christ, the gospel of Christ. He says in other places, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power in the church. The gospel is the grace of God. We are a people of grace to the praise of grace. We are united in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not any one person or any one ministry or any one experience. We're united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is Christ divided? No. If each one of us individually says in the Bible that we are united by faith in Christ. I love that phrase Paul talks about. You are hidden in Christ. You think about a lot of aspects of your life. You are hidden in Christ. And each one of us who is by faith in Christ is hidden in Christ. Then there is only one Christ. Is Christ divided? No. Well, then how could we be divided if we are the body of Christ? He says, you want to you say I was with Paul? He picks on himself. Was, was Paul crucified for you? Was I crucified for you? No. Did I preach me being crucified for you? No. I preached Christ crucified. And Paul himself is saying, don't exalt me. Exalt Christ because it's all about Jesus Christ. And then when, yeah, that was a powerful experience when, when I had the great honor to, to submerge you under the water saying, buried with Christ. Raised to walk in the newness of life. And that's a special moment that you enjoyed with Paul. And he says, but were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you were baptized in the name of Christ. This is not about any one personality or any personal person's ministry or any personal experience with Christ. This place is about Jesus. And that's what unites us. And so... We need to think about that. We need to think about everything that we have in our lives. Every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places are yours in Jesus Christ. So we exist as the people of grace. God saves you by Jesus Christ based on his grace, unmerited favor. God enriches every aspect of your life by grace through Jesus Christ. 
and God sustains you daily, every day, day in and out, day in and day out, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this is a great day for us to, to participate in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, uh, maybe you didn't realize it, but the Lord's Supper, part of what we're doing should be to display the unity that we share in Christ. Uh, we don't have the same setup that Jesus had when he offered the Lord's Supper the first time where he had a one loaf of bread and one cup from which he he tore the bread after he blessed it and he handed out pieces of the bread. And that visually is what we see. When we individually take a small piece of the, the bread, that bread came from one loaf of bread. And that bread is a symbol or a picture of the one Christ who broke his body for our sins. And so in a moment when we pass this out and you take individually, you need to realize that that this is symbolic of your connected with the body of Christ because all of us are connected to the one body, Jesus Christ. And the same is true that from one cup comes the pouring of each person's smaller cup. And so when you participate of the, the juice, you are, you, it came from the one cup. And all of this symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. Because there is only one blood that was sufficient for the sacrifice of sins. There was only one blood that could cover our sins. And that was the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so in the scriptures, we know that Paul later on, 1 Corinthians, speaks about the cup and the bread this way. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? When you take of the cup... It is your participation individually of the one blood of Jesus Christ. And then he speaks of the bread. He says, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And so when you take of the bread, your one piece is your way of participating together in the one body of Jesus Christ. Because there is one bread we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Father God, at this time, I just lift up to you this, this one cup and this one bread to you, asking your blessings on all who partake of the cup and of the bread. Lord, we partake of it by faith in the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. And I pray that in our partaking of this by faith, your word tells us that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst of them. And so the indwelling spirit of God connects with the indwelling spirit of God in each one of us who are in Christ. And as we participate in the Lord's Supper, would you do a powerful work of grace in our heart? Would your spirit move powerfully and remove any divisions of pride and arrogance? Will we remove anything that would hinder us from being vulnerable in the gospel of Jesus Christ and truly connecting with the body of Christ? That we may be one, that you would unite people from all different walks of life into one beautiful display of your glory. Would you work powerfully in our hearts at this time? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.
Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.